Welcome to Telltale, the podcast where marketers can learn from interviews with fantastic storytellers. Hello everybody, welcome to Telltale episode 12. My name is Kurt Sanders, I'm your host and with me as always every week is Brittany Dreghorn. Britt, how are you? You're in your element here today. Of course, always. You are in your bringing element. Bringing the chat. Absolutely, bringing the chat because we are very excited to have with us Eric Fu, the co-founder of customer-centric fashion brand Citizen Wolf. Eric, welcome to Telltale. Hi there, thanks. Really great to be here. Great, thank you for joining us. Now, um, Britt is an absolute passionate sustainable fashion head. I am far more ignorant and I'm happy to say that, but we'll just give a bit of background around Citizen Wolf. Citizen Wolf makes custom fit t-shirts from 100% organic cotton milled in Melbourne. They're part of an ethical fashion movement, making everything in-house and championing slow fashion, buying less. Where did it all begin? Tell us about the start of Citizen Wolf. Right, well, like most things, it just started with a very personal frustration of mine. it's probably a bit hard to see on the podcast, but I'm actually quite short <laughs> and I've got really weird dimensions. So I find it an absolute struggle uh, to find clothing that fits. Um, in fact, I hate shopping you know, with a fury of a thousand suns because I can never find something that is just right for me. I'll be with you on that one, by the way, just quietly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been, what, 48 years since man landed on the moon? Surely this is a problem that can be solved. So when I was chatting with my uh, business partner, um, who I had known back in my advertising days for about 15 years, uh, we thought, well, why hasn't anyone solved this problem? And then we thought, well, we should actually solve this problem. Um, and in, as part of that journey, we found that there was actually a, a good reason why no one does clothing one piece at a time uh, when it comes to casual clothing. It's because it's really, really difficult. And it's because the industry is not set up to do it on scale. Right? Everything is done through mass production. But that also means there's tremendous amounts of waste because retailers need to work out 12 months in advance what the sizes are that they need, what styles will sell, etc. Uh, and as a result, fashion uh, has become the second most polluting industry on earth, right after petroleum. And we didn't want to contrib- uh, contribute to that problem. We actually wanted to find a way to, uh, to counteract it. So by solving the fit issue right, of making clothing one piece at a time, we actually solve the whole mass production issue, which then has a much better impact on the planet. So that's pretty much how we started. I really like that idea because I think my problem and what really overwhelms me is that I look at uh, sustainable fashion, I'm like, where do I start? There's so many things. And I never even thought about the amount of waste just from the creating so many sizes and the oversupply. So that's great. You just pick one niche and you go for it and the impact of that would be massive. Exactly. Uh, we've seen some surveys that Marks uh, and Spencers in the UK did. Uh, from about three years ago and one of the most shocking statistics is that one-third of people have clothing that they only wear once. Uh, they bought it, uh, it was fine at the time, but when they uh, wash it, it's shrunk or they've decided actually it doesn't fit as well as I thought, it doesn't go with the jeans that I also bought, so it ends up just sitting in a closet and then thrown away a few months later. Or it gets donated to a charity, but because the clothing quality has never been great in the first place, uh, and they're overwhelmed with all these other exact same t-shirts that are made badly, for example, coming in, 90% of those end up going to a landfill as well. Mm, right, so, so actually it's more about the quality as well, and so the movement towards that is huge. Exactly. It's, for us, it's about being the absolute antithesis of fast fashion. Right? Fast fashion is about making it en masse, making it really quick and making it uh, accessible and making it cheap so that it breaks down so that people are forced to buy again 
on a, on a trend-led basis. Whereas what we want to do is classic styled clothing that's timeless, that's made to last, and that goes with everything. So you don't have to keep stressing about, oh wait, I can't wear that because it's not the right occasion. Mm. Did you on purpose have the idea that, oh, if we just make it custom, it will solve the waste problem? Or did that just happen to be a byproduct, or was it the other way around? No, it was much more a byproduct. Um, for us, it was actually very fortuitous. We, uh, from the very, very start, wanted to have a brand that wasn't going to contribute to the problems uh, that the world has. Um, at the time I started Citizen Wolf, um, I was part of the um, International Union for the Conservation of Nature, an organisation which no one's ever heard of, <laughs> but it's actually the largest and oldest conservation group in the world. We'll put a link in the show notes for that one. Yeah. Uh, so from just a, a personal perspective, we just didn't want to do anything that contributed to environmental waste. The fact that we found another way to do this, and by doing so, solving the fit problem, solving the style problem, and solving the way that fashion is made um, has just been a very fortuitous coincidence for us, but you know, one that we're quite happy to keep pushing and, and progressing. Was this an immediate hit with your customers, or did it take a little while to find that product market fit and really educate them that this is even possible? It definitely was a struggle. Uh, the first week we opened, uh, the store in Sydney, we had maybe three people walk in, and that was a bit depressing. Um, and a lot of that's been, you're right, there isn't an education about, or awareness about the problems uh, of fast fashion in, in society. People don't really care. Uh, they don't think about who made the clothes, under what, and what, under what conditions. The other problem is that while everyone understands tailoring, no one ever thinks about it outside of business suits and bridal wear. So it's not as if people are typing into Google tailored t-shirts. Uh, there, there is an education process involved to actually let people know that you can actually buy this. And then another step is, well, you can also solve all these things by doing so. And, and these are the reasons why it's worth paying more uh, as opposed to paying $2 for something at Kmart, which is going to disintegrate after three washes. Uh, I think 14 months on, we're certainly better at communicating the message and we have been growing and we've seen more and more people uh, tap into it and a large part of the people who do buy from us do care about sustainability, the, um, ethical clothing, etc. Uh, but I'd say that a lot of people are still more attracted by the proposition that I can make exactly what I want, I can, don't have to worry about it, I don't have to go shopping, I don't have to see 30 different stores over the weekend and be, be frustrated that I can't find it exactly the way that I want. That's a super attractive uh, thing for me, just quietly, because I hate going to the shops, but I am willing to pay for quality, right? Like, I, I would say a lot of people are. Um, from a business perspective, you talked about the education piece. What are you doing to educate? What are the marketing practices that you've put in place to do that? Um, so for us, one of the, the best things we've done has been to find other like-minded brands and build more of a, a community and a voice around it. So one of the activities we did, for example, was run a pop-up in Sydney um, in April of this year called, the, uh, called Buy Better. And we brought together nine brands that shared the same philosophy that we had around ethical, sustainable and, and local uh, manufacturing for, uh, for fashion. And as a result of that, we had a lot, of, uh, a lot more media pickup. We've had a lot more people understand who we are and, and why um, they should buy from us. Uh, and resulting from that, we've also then had an article in the Sydney Morning Herald 
um, talking about us in sustainable fashion and how we're the next big thing, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, we've just been nominated for Best Ethical Fashion Brand from uh, Marie Claire magazine, and we'll find out if we win that in four weeks. Um, all of these things which are only because we are starting to pull together more of a community to, uh, to let people know that there is actually more to, to ethical fashion than you know, I think the perception of ethical fashion which is you're going to wear some sort of potato sack um, <laughs> that hasn't been processed and, and looks horrible but is environmentally friendly. Totally. Yeah, and, I, and partnerships are so key with marketing across the board, right? And you can do that digitally, physically, however else you want. Has content like the war on waste and those, you know, we're talking big picture, big scale content, has that sort of helped your business along like it has, say, for Keep Cup, which has been in the media around, you know, explosive sales for, for what is a really great product? Yeah, um, it certainly helps. And I think the people who are naturally more inclined to care about the planet and care about society and, and so forth, for those people, it's very easy and accessible to buy into our brand. I think our challenge, though, is how do we reach people who aren't within those groups? Because, unfortunately, while there is a lot of awareness and, and care for the environment, when it comes down to it, the majority of people vote with their wallets. Right? So our challenge is not about tapping into the 10 20% who already buy in. It's how do we reach the 80% right, who arguably would make a bigger impact if we can convince them it's better. Mm. But I can kind of see a bit of a cult movement in Sydney because you guys kind of have this like hipster kind of brand attached to you. So even though they might not be interested, like that's a byproduct, the ethical, sustainable production. I think just the fact that it's a really like one off custom fit also appeals to them, right? So it's another audience. Yes. Yeah, so you'll have people coming into our brand through various means. Some people care about the environmental part, and that's fantastic, right? as, as I mentioned, that, that we do have an audience who are very much about that. Um, we also have a group that are just all about fit. Uh, I just want something that looks good, mm. and once I've found my fit, I don't want to think about it. I just want to order one in every colour. Mm. Uh, I should actually tell the story of our name, um, Citizen Wolf, as well, because for us it was very much about identifying, well, who are the types of people who would want to buy from us? And out of the hundreds of options that we had when we first started, we thought, well, what, who is our customer? What are the types of people who would be interested in what we do? And it came down to two things. They're going to be citizens of the world. Right? They care about society. They care about the community. But they're also not sheep. Right? They're not people who follow. They're not people who want to wear another brand to validate who they are. No, they're confident in themselves. They're, they're wolves. Right? So for us, Citizen Wolf is actually named after our customer, right? the people who do care enough to, to want to be different. What a fantastic brand story and to, to, to embed it in such a core customer centric way is just that's like key now if you think of it any other way you're actually probably on the road to bankruptcy so yeah customer centric you know from the start. Thank you. Have any businesses been sheep and followed what you're doing? Um, not that we've found so far um, mainly because what we're trying to do is quite counterintuitive and this it's actually quite a funny story when we started citizen wolf and we were looking at how do we build a supply chain to actually do the things that, that we need uh, everyone that we talked to from the industry said that we were crazy because it's not the way things are done so for example when we were looking at getting a pattern maker to create individual patterns for each and every person who comes in 
Padmega said that we're crazy because it'll take forever. And that's not how things are done. Um, I mean, it'll, you'll end up creating a t-shirt that's way too expensive. When we talked to the wash house about fabric, um, uh, they said, no, 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 you, you don't wash the fabric before you cut. Right? We only wash t-shirts after they're made, so you should give us t-shirts to wash. But we couldn't do that because we needed to make sure that after we deliver your t-shirt, it doesn't shrink any further. Right? The measurements stay exact, so we had to pre-wash everything. Um, all throughout the, the, the whole chain of production, everyone says that it's not the way things are done, and we find that's probably the biggest barrier for, for anyone to wrap their heads around to, to try and compete or do what we're doing because there's just, yeah, there's just this ingrained resistance to doing things differently. I think you guys are definitely leading by example. I saw uh, one of the founders from Shoes of Prey speak a couple of weeks right. back and he spoke of very similar challenges that they needed to overcome, but it's definitely not impossible and I think there'll be a few more popping up around the place. Yeah, well, customization and personalization is the future. Everyone who's grown up with a computer or an iPhone knows the importance of customization. It's just a part of the world. And it's crazy that clothing doesn't allow that level. Um, so again, we, we've, we look at the situation and think, are we, are we truly being crazy? Right? It seems so obvious to us. Right? Uh, why on earth are there one million tailors out there right, competing for a fraction of the market in business, casual, uh, in business uh, clothing when actually what most people wear most of the time is casual clothing? Mm. And there is no way to actually get the right fit in it. It just seems crazy to us. Yeah, it is crazy, and and, and I love. I, I think it's spot on because on on the podcast a few weeks back we had a fantastic guy named James Grogan from the Good Beer Company, and he talks about business and cause based business as you have to have that thing. You you can't just be about a niche cause or a cause. People don't care, but if you're offering value like you do, customize everything, customize your wardrobe, customize your casual life. Um, the cause comes along with it, and people care more. People actually care more, and I think that's ingenious. Thank you. Yeah, I think our challenge has always been how do we bring something which is a much bigger issue around fast fashion um, versus slow fashion and make it a lot more relevant, which comes back down to, well, you're going to look better and you're going to feel better because mm. clothing was made just for you and just the way you like it. Yeah. Can I pop right back to the start? You said something, and, and once again, forgive my ignorance around this. You said fashion is the second most polluting industry in the world. Is that correct? Correct. What are the numbers around that? Right, so for example, uh, a t-shirt takes 6,000 litres of water right, to grow, um, the, the cotton to, to make a t-shirt, which is insane if you think about it. Uh, Marks and Spencer's survey, as I mentioned earlier, uh, where one third of clothing right, will end up being thrown into a landfill after one wash. 20% right? of all clothing ends up being unsold because the size wasn't right or it was the wrong style and therefore people didn't end up buying it. And that goes into a landfill. Right? To put all this into context, every single year, 80 billion garments are made, and that number rises every, every year. So of that 80 billion, 85% will end up going to a landfill at some point in time. And even something as natural as cotton takes 100 years to biodegrade. So we're contributing enormous amounts of waste right, just by consuming things which don't last and can be made a lot better um, and, and again that that's, 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 seems insane to us and something we don't want to contribute to. 
if we can help them. Yeah, it's incredible numbers. It's just incredible numbers. Um, I'll, I'll lift, I'll, I'll shift the conversation to somewhere slightly more positive than that. <laughs> Are you sure though? I want to talk about that. <laughs> I know you do, I know you do. Ah. Um, you're in Brisbane as part of the Advanced Queensland Hot Desk Program. Yes. How's that been? Um, it's been fantastic, especially working with the CEA here who have a fashion accelerator downstairs and certainly a lot more knowledgeable around creative uh, technology. Um, it's been a really great match for us in, in terms of helping us to shape our own vision and, and giving us guidance on, on how we can um, make more impact uh, on our business. And what about the ecosystem? How have you found Brisbane in general? It's actually been a lot livelier than I, uh, than I thought. I mean, coming from Sydney, which does have a very active and, and thriving community, I think that's probably more a function of a critical mass. Sydney's just a big city um, and you've got a lot of uh, financial you know, institutions there, so you do naturally have a lot of venture capitalists and investors and, and the like. Uh, but in Brisbane, it's actually great to see that there is support to build a community and that there are actually some you know, amazing projects that, that I've seen, even amongst the hot desk uh, cohorts, uh, in, in terms of innovative technologies, which I think have, you know, have a great chance of changing the world. Mm. And out of the fashion businesses that they have or that you come across, do most of them have a social part of them now or is there still a lot of businesses that are starting up in places like this and in Sydney who are just in it for kind of the, the fast fashion deal, make as much money as they can? I think there is definitely a bit of both. I think everyone looks at fashion and think, oh, you know, it's glamorous and there's money to be made and for a certain few people that would definitely be the case. Uh, but I'm also seeing a lot more uh, concern around environmental issues and a lot of the designers that I've talked to now have that first and foremost in their planning. Things like the transparency of the supply chain, where they source their materials from, what sort of materials that they use and, and so forth. What does it mean for a brand like you to get in somewhere like Meyer or David Jones though? Like is that even possible for you to compete with the other brands that are fast fashion? Can you even do that the way that you to have transparency in the supply chain? Uh, the transparency in the supply chain um, isn't necessarily the issue, there, at least for, for us. There's quite a lot of brands, even in places like a Myers or, or a David Jones, where you can go onto the website and trace exactly where they got their fabrics from, which mill, even the name of the sheep that they got the wool from, right? it comes down to it. Um, for us, it's more around how is clothing actually made, and that's a, that's a much bigger challenge uh, in trying to educate customers, and for us, as, as our business model. Right now, our biggest challenge is actually speed. Right? To make things one by one isn't as, as efficient as making it a hundred at a time. But as we improve the technology base that, that we have, um, you know, we've, we have a laser cutter, for example, that cuts individual patterns. So something that would normally take hours to do or someone with decades of experience can now be done in a fraction of a second. And the way we get your measurements is a very manual process. And we've got in place you know, a, a system to start digitizing a lot of that. Once we get all these different foundational components in place, uh, we think we'll be able to get a t-shirt made you know, within an hour, mm -hmm. right, from the time you've designed and specified it. And the moment we have that in place, then I think we'll start to see uh, the, the sea change that we're hoping for. And things like having a concession in Myers or a DJ's starts to make sense and gives benefit and value to, to everyone involved. I've almost got a tear in my eye as to how great that is, to be honest, because you're absolutely spot on. Like. The, the amount of things we're throwing out to have someone come in and technologically change each step of the of the process into something that's not just sustainable, but is actually 
monetized and profitable. Like to me, that that is the absolute future. But we should move on, and it is time, Brittany. Grill the man. <laughs> we want to know what the worst thing you've ever told someone is. No, just kidding. The worst what, no, no. What, what's the littlest, biggest white lie you've ever told, Eric? Right. Um, so, uh, before I started Citizen Wolf, I actually uh, worked in Hong Kong for a number of years uh, as part of my previous life in, in advertising. Um, and in advertising, plenty of lies. Let's oh, say. plenty. Yeah. Like um, it works. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, and I didn't actually tell people while I was working there that I understood Cantonese, that I spoke Cantonese. Um, I only ever spoke in English. Um, so it was because it was a lie by omission. But it was great to actually understand what people were, were saying behind my back or saying in meetings, thinking that I couldn't understand it. And oh, uh, what were some of those things? Yeah. That would be telling. Oh, that's amazing. That's a good one. Oh, that would make coming to work every day delicious and scary and all those things. Did you just give them funny glances when they said things? They're like, I wonder if he knows what we're talking about. No, my, my, the staff that I worked with knew after a while, but it was always great uh, you know, chatting with new clients who would just assume that I couldn't speak uh, Cantonese. That's yeah. so funny, and then you could answer their questions anyway. <laughs> You'd just send them an email after the meeting with all of their questions. Yeah. They're like, oh, <laughs> what? Was the jig ever up? Did they ever, uh, the clients ever sort of? Uh, eventually, yes, oh, but right. um, it was, it's fun while it lasts. <laughs> I'm gonna turn the mic off and, and get some more out of you. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Fu from Citizen Wolf, thank you so much for being on Telltale. No, thank you for your time, it's been, it's been fun. No trouble at all. Brittany, every week, thank you for joining us, guys. Tell your tale, it is extremely important. Thanks. Telltale is part of the Content Division Podcast Network. You can subscribe on iTunes or stream it from the contentdivision.com.au forward slash podcast. Then you